Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, still quarantined in D.C., and today I'm going to be talking with Glenn Kirshner. He's back, and I'm so grateful. He's the one that I booked for today. We're going to be talking about, obviously, the disgusting move on Republicans to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I have a bunch of questions for him. He actually did make me feel better, as he always does, because everybody loves Glenn. Glenn is freaking awesome. And he's so smart, and I just enjoy talking to him so much. But I'm going to try to keep this as short as I possibly can before I get into the asking for patrons. <laughs> but I just wanted to say that on Wednesday, I interviewed Noel Kasler, and I, I have to say this was the most popular podcast that I've ever done. It I, I, I finally broke the top 100 political podcasts and Apple podcasts. And then I think I was like number two, number 32 in um, Austria. And I don't know, I can't remember what the numbers were, but it was like number 32 in Austria, number 37 in wherever. I mean, I was charting all over the world. And I mean, okay, I my show was charting, but it's because Noel was like the freaking bomb. He was insane. Everything that he was taught, I mean, in a good way, just exposing the disgustingness of Trump and telling us all the stories about his incontinence and 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 the, ugh, what the Russians have on him. It was such a great show, and I'm really grateful, and I wanted to say hello to all of my new patrons. I got a bunch of new patrons, and I will say this is the most, uh, the, the, the highest number of new patrons for one particular show. And I'm just, thank you. For, for, for supporting the show. I appreciate it so much. And I'm going to be doing everything I can to keep you guys as interested and, and, and engaged as possible. Sometimes, hopefully, I can inspire some of you. Every show's not going to be a Noel Kasler show <laughs> because that was, I heard from other people that he told me more about Trump than he told anybody else. So, hey, I'm going to take that and I'm so excited about it. But that was a really good show. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my new patrons. Hello. Thank you for signing up. Thank you for everybody who signed up. I am grateful for all of you. And I want to remind people that I am now an Amazon associate. So I will always include a link in the text description of the show. And when you shop on Amazon, use that link. Because I'm a participant in the Amazon Services LLC Associates Program, which is an affiliate advertising program designed to provide means for me to earn fees by linking to Amazon.com and the affiliated sites. So that would be awesome. That, that link is always going to be, it'll say Amazon link at, uh, in the text of every description of every show. And also the Start Me Up podcast is independent. It's supported by listeners like you, so thank you for signing up. And it's woman-run. I don't have corporate backers, and I don't use ads. So it's patrons who keep this show going. If you enjoy today's show, please take a listen to some of the older interviews or conversations that I've had with other people, because I really think that you'll enjoy them. I, I try to... I, I try to have more of a discussion. Occasionally, it's just a straight-up interview, but I like to like I just like to go back and forth with people, even if I'm interviewing them. So I interview actors. I interview mostly. I interview political people, but occasionally I interview actors solely about their craft. Politics usually, you know, goes in there somehow. <laughs> but uh, like I said, check out some of the past guests. If you like the show, become uh, you know a patron for any dollar amount. 
$2 a month means each show, each free show will be delivered to your email box. You don't have to search for it. And so here's how it works right now. If you sign up for $4 or less, you're going to, everything will be emailed to you, the free shows and one patrons only show. If you sign up for $5 or more, you will get everything. So I do two patrons only shows per month and then I do two free shows per week. So um, you can sign up for whatever you like. If you happen to click on the the three two dollar tier, you can change that to forty six dollars. So you don't have to. I I have several tiers. You can choose a tier, or you can choose your own dollar amount. So that's just you know you can do that. Um, and then the patrons only shows are usually a little bit more personal. They still stick to politics, but but oftentimes they're a little bit more personal, kind of a little more fun, just more. Uh, almost listening to a private conversation. Just visit patreon.com slash start me up. And like I said, you could just sign up for two bucks a month to start. And if you want to upgrade later, you can upgrade. You can also make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description because I always include my email, which you can use for my PayPal. And then you can find start me up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Um, just stop by the Apple Podcast. You can get through get to that through iTunes on an uh, on the app on your phone. But it is Apple Podcasts, and when you're there, become a subscriber. It's free. I've gotten a whole bunch of new subscribers there too, so thank you. And while you're there, please rate the show and give me a review. Just a couple sentences or one sentence is good enough for me. But thank you again to everybody who has done that. And I and I know that Stephanie's going to be on the show. Steph Walton, she's my partner, and often we do the patrons-only show. So she's going to be on this week. I just don't remember if it's going to be uh, Tuesday or Thursday. I can't remember what we've agreed on. But she's going to be here, and so that's it. I'm just going to get right to the show. I'm going to be talking, like I said, to former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner. So please enjoy our conversation. Welcome back to the show, Glenn. Hey, great to be with you, Kimberly. Well, I'm glad that I have you here today. I, I asked you here last week, but uh, it was before the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I'll tell you, man, when that came down, I mean, I, I was, I had just gotten out of the shower and, you know, getting ready to make dinner. And I was, I went on my phone because of course I'm obsessed and I, and I checked just to see what's going on. And I see Kirk Acevedo's tweet about her dying. And then of course it was tweet after tweet. And I just screamed, no, it was like, no, I mean, it was like, and here's the deal. Obviously, I feel sad that she's gone. Um, she was 87 years old. She fought as hard as she could and she stayed alive as long as she could. But the thing that, you know, and it's like, I wish that we have had the chance to celebrate um, her life and mourn her death and appreciate everything that she gave to us. But instead, it is turned into this, um, they're dancing on her grave. And it's exactly. disgusting, and it's 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 so upsetting because it's like I just, I want to you know I mean she lived a long life, and it's sad that she's gone, but she she was so accomplished and she gave so much, and I just I want to celebrate it and I want to feel the joy for everything that she gave us, and instead I'm feeling so angry and I have so many questions for you, um, you know the election has started, people are voting. And I saw that you did a video the other day about how Democrats can stall this confirmation. So I want you to kind of go over the, those basic points for us. Yeah. And um, I don't pretend at the end of the day that um, 
we will succeed right. in completely derailing it. But right. I also, I don't feel like all hope is lost. Okay. So as you say, I mean, you know, it, the indecency mm-hmm. and the hypocrisy started from literally within, I think, 90 minutes of mm-hmm. us learning that an American hero, a, a pioneer, uh, you know, for equal rights, for women's rights, had passed away, you know, and, and we all feel like it was suddenly. Yeah. We knew how she struggled. We right. knew how she battled. We knew how strong she was. And yet it felt like a lightning mm-hmm. bolt. And yeah. my wife and I turned to each other. We're sitting on the couch. We saw the announcement. And we were we were so despondent. Yeah. You know, surprised. But then she's a, my wife's a, an immigration lawyer. So despondent. And uh, and of course, we didn't have a moment mm-hmm. to grieve or to mourn or to start, sort of collectively make arrangements and prepare to yes. honor her. Before Mitch McConnell announces, as you say, figuratively dancing on her grave, let's gear up for a new Supreme Court justice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that led me to really kind of take a step back and think about where we've been since 2016, since the the unconstitutional obscenity that was Mitch McConnell Mm -hmm. refusing to give advice and consent on Merrick Garland's nomination. Um, I won't say I know Merrick Garland. I introduced him at a a, a retirement ceremony. I was emceeing and I I got to talk to him a little bit. He is so, so highly regarded and revered in DC criminal justice Hmm. circles, my my stomping grounds. Mm -hmm. Um, But it caused me to look back and mainly I was looking back to figure out, okay, where are we now and what can we do? Looking back to 2016, when Mitch McConnell said he decided he decided he would rewrite the Constitution, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Article two, section two of the Constitution says the president nominates judges to the for the Supreme Court, and the Senate gives advice and consent. And mm-hmm. for Mitch McConnell to say no, that's not what it says. Mm-hmm. It says the Senate will give advice and consent only within the first three years of a president's mm-hmm. term. Kimberly, we both know that is so squarely unconstitutional that looking back, why – and I don't look back and criticize past administrations, Republican or Democrat, that often. Mm -hmm. But I think it's instructive to look back and learn lessons. And, you know, that that they should have marched in the court. What I would have done, and I've done this in my own criminal cases, when I see that kind of injustice, I will urge a judge to say, Judge – then, then these people who are making these unconstitutional, unlawful arguments need to be deemed to have waived their right to do what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. If I were President Obama, and this is easy to say in hindsight, especially <laughs> because I'll never be elected to anything, um, I would have said, Merrick Garland, I am deeming that the Senate has waived its right to provide oh, advice wow. and consent. I would like you to take your place on the Supreme wow. Court bench. Oh, and you know what would have happened that. at that moment? Mitch McConnell would have had to have filed suit in yeah. federal district court in Washington, D.C., and convinced judges mm. that he gets to rewrite the Constitution by saying no advice and consent in year four. They would have laughed him out of court. Yeah. They would have laughed him out of court. They probably would have specifically ordered him to hold the Senate hearing and vote, is my guess, because they would not 
have allowed Mitch McConnell to rewrite the Constitution. So and we would be in a very different place yes. had we fought the battle yeah. in 2016 rather than feeding the monster. Yes. Mitch McConnell is a, is a constitutional monster. Mm -hmm. I've called him a constitutional cannibal because he eats the Constitution alive. Yeah. You have to fight the monster. You can't feed the monster because we have fed Mitch McConnell. And what have we got? More monstrous behavior. Yeah. So that's my that's my opening rant oh, because I get so freaking exercised over people who abuse the Constitution, right? Mm -hmm. And so where are we now? Now we have the Mitch McConnells and Lindsey Grahams on tape mm -hmm. saying there must never be a confirmation in mm -hmm. year four a hearing in year four of a president's term, and then that now and, and they're saying are. hold us to it, use right, my words yeah. against me, and now they're saying. Oh, of course, there must always be a confirmation hearing in year four mm -hmm. of a president's term. So th this does real violence to our democracy. Mm -hmm. And here's why. Here in Virginia, where I'm located, we started voting in person last week. Votes have been cast all around this country, mm -hmm. both in person and by mail, due to early voting. Because people have already voted and because they voted, and, and I, this is going to persuade thinking people, but it's pro it will never persuade Mitch McConnell yeah. and, and Lindsey Graham. Because they have voted based on the bedrock promise of people like Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell that there will never be a confirmation hearing in year four of a president's term. They voted knowing that. Yeah. They voted – for right, what yeah. they knew politically to be the state of play yes. on the moment they voted. And now, not only has the state of play changed, but Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham have nefariously and corruptly and immorally changed the rules with absolutely no reason but a crass power grab. Mm -hmm. They just – they are doing real violence to democracy by going down this road that will persuade that will not persuade the Republicans. I'm convinced, but it is, I think an argument we should be making over and mm -hmm. over. They pulled the voting rug out from under those people who have already voted. Mm -hmm. And that is anti-democratic. Um, the other thing that I think we still have going for us is there are a few Republicans, a couple have already said, and we, I don't yeah. know that we can take them at their word, right. the Murkowski's and mm -hmm. the Collins, but they have already said they're not going to go down this road. I, I would like to think Romney won't go down this mm -hmm. road. It only takes a few more. I actually do not think a vote in favor of confirming whoever Trump nominates is a done deal. I just I don't think it's a done deal. OK, here is the outlier. Here's the third thing that I think we should do. And I'm poking around today to find and if there are any really good civil um, class action lawyers out there, please, please, please. I'm a criminal guy. I was a yeah. criminal guy for 30 years. Okay. You kill somebody, you're my problem. I can take care of you. You need, you need a class action lawsuit put together. I'm not your guy. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I'm, you know, I, I can barely spell civil procedure, <laughs> um, but, but here's what I urge civil litigators to consider. You know, first of all, if we talk about contract law, Right. You have to have an offer. You have to have acceptance and you have to have consideration, something mm -hmm. of value that changes hands. So I don't know that we can actually use contract law principles to say, listen, Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell made the American mm -hmm. voters a promise. 
that there would be no hearing in year four. They made us a bedrock promise and they challenged us to hold them to that promise, right? That's darn near a contract yeah. because the, the voters relied on that mm-hmm. promise and they voted accordingly and their vote, gosh dang it, is a thing of value. So I, I can almost see a, an argument based on the, the, the law of contracts being filed. But here's even – I'm going to take a step away from contracts for a minute because I think the perhaps more applicable doctrine is something that we fancy lawyers call equitable estoppel. It's a fancy way of saying you know, basically fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Mm-hmm. It, the, the principle of equitable estoppel says if you say something – Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, and I rely on it to my detriment to make decisions, Mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to rise to the level of a contract. You are stopped. In other words, you are prevented from going back on your word. I believe that's a viable civil challenge that could be lodged in court. And what in the world is the downside to lodging a legal challenge and exposing McConnell and Graham for the great big liars that they are when voters have gone to the polls in reliance on what they promised in 2016, and now they're going back on that promise. That's that's not rough-and-tumble politics. It's wrong. It's immoral. It is undemocratic. And let me ask you this. So now, is this something Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer could start doing right now or or at least getting it ready for? Because Trump said something about naming uh, a nominee, I guess, by Friday out of respect for RBG. Yeah. Um, because he's all about respect. Exactly. For women. Exactly. Um, but I mean, you know, I mean, I want to get to the lame duck question in a minute because I want to I know that that's a possibility. But. Beyond that, I mean, let's just say right now they're going to try to cram it through. First of all, actually, do they have enough time? How many days is it that they have? Is it like thir- 43 now? 43. So if if they wanted to start holding some kind of confirmation hearing in mm-hmm. 20 days, um, what? How could how could that that contract that you just spoke about? Who would who would get that moving forward? Would it be Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer? No, I believe, and again, civil litigation is not my bailiwick, but I believe to prove what's called standing. In other words, standing is, again, just a fancy word to uh, say that anybody who brings a suit in court has to have a dog in the fight, right? Mm -hmm. So if you and I enter into a contract and I violate it, you can sue me, but your friend can't sue me because your friend wouldn't have standing because your friend isn't a party to the contract. I don't know that um, that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have standing. You know who does have standing? Hmm. It's the people who have already voted. And they voted based on the 2016 promise that there would be no hearing in year four. They were lied to. They were deceived. They relied on their word, that word to their detriment in casting their vote. And now their vote means something that they didn't want it to mean. And that those are the people who, in my opinion, have standing to lodge a legal challenge. And that's why I call out to enterprising class action attorneys who know how to put this stuff together, because you can put this together in a week. You can Mm -hmm. file it. You can ask for an injunction. You can ask that um, that they be enjoined or stopped from conducting a confirmation hearing, just like the federal court judge, I believe, in Washington state has ordered 
Postmaster General mm-hmm. Louis DeJoy enjoined him mm-hmm. an injunction saying you can't slow the mail anymore. You can't take down the high speed sorting machines, which you've been taking down and 72 percent of them are in counties that Hillary won. How's that for a transparent mm-hmm. attempt to interfere in the upcoming election? So courts can do this hmm. quickly. Wow. So now, okay, I mean, is there the possibility, let's say that happens, let's say that there is a, a class action lawsuit. Can Mitch McConnell just ignore it and, and hold a hearing anyway? Yes, and then you go, you walk right into court and you seek a contempt citation, and the court, I'm I'm telling you, the courts remain strong. And we can, you know, I I know we've got all these not qualified judges. I don't call them unqualified because the ABA rating Mm -hmm. is is technically not qualified. We have all these not qualified Mm -hmm. judges soiling our federal bench, right? And we're going to address that in January. We've got plans for that. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, but... um, uh, but they could order him not to proceed with a confirmation hearing. Then if he decided to set a confirmation hearing anyway, the judge could hold him in contempt, could fine him, and yes, could jail him. Oh, my God. And if we don't take the gloves off now, yeah, yes. sakes, when are we ever going to take the gloves off? Yeah, that's what I mean. I've been seeing, and I, I do believe, because I, you know, obviously they have no shame. They don't care if we call them hypocrites. I do believe it's important to note that, you know, like, for instance, with impeachment, we were pretty positive that Trump was not going to be convicted by the Senate. But the House needed to do the impeachment hearings, A, for history's sake, uh, to make a statement. So I feel that that's the same thing. I feel like, yeah, we need to point out that what they do is shameful and that they're being hypocrites. But by calling them hypocrites and saying, shame on you, it sticks in stones. They don't care. They don't care. care. I mean, they're so blatant. You have Lindsey Graham you know, I guess in 2015, saying if we if we get if we make Trump then our you know our president nominee whatever he said that you know mm-hmm. was going to destroy the party, and now he's right. lodged all the way up you know in his innards, and and so it, he, they just don't care. No, so they don't care. I um I th- you they know, care about money and power. They, that's that's it. And so I think that uh, when we shame them, I think we need to point out that we we know their game. But specifically when Democratic leaders are doing it, whether it's you know senators or 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 anybody in government. Anybody with any power, if they're shaming, it's not going to work. It's like you said, the gloves need to be off. They need to think outside the box. And that's what frustrates me so much about Democrats, because it seems like, okay, we we only have a sliver of power. And when I say we, I just mean Democrats. But I mean, we have a sliver of power and they have the majority of it. Plus, they're cheating. So, yes, we are up against a lot. But just from what you're telling me right now, I mean, I I have to tell you what you just told me about what Obama could have done. It kills me. It kills me. And I, I don't get that. And I, I, got a, I was still a Fed back then. Yeah. So I you know, had a full complement of murder cases and I was, you know, I was busy. And, and the, the thing is, until I retired, I was never a political person anyway. Yeah. And frankly, I still don't see myself as a political person. I grew up in an apolitical household with a pop who was a high school football coach in New Jersey. I mean, we didn't talk politics. Yeah. I voted when I turned 18. That was it. And what I do now is not political. Right. It's law and order. Yeah. And right now, 
the the Republicans are are soiling the Constitution every day. And so had I, I, I can't say I know exactly what was going on in 2016 inside the Obama administration mm-hmm. that led them to roll over. And I and I hope that's not a disrespectful right. characterization because maybe they fought tooth and nail in yeah. ways that we that were either unsuccessful or that never surfaced in mm-hmm. the public consciousness. But for gosh sakes, all you had to do was walk into court and say, Judge, Mitch McConnell is violating yes. the Constitution to the detriment of the American people. That is a that's a laydown winner. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like I mean, yeah, I think it's really important that we need to be truthful. Everybody's so worried about criticizing Democrats or Obama or you know any of that right now because of the situation we're in because we have this dire scary, you know, we're going to lose the Democratic Republic and we don't want to blame. It's not about blaming. It's like you said, it's instructional. It should have been done. I I, I don't hate Obama. I think he was a really good president. And I think that he's a human being who tried to make the best decisions. And obviously he was the first black president. He knew that he had to act a certain way. And and, I mean, I think it's his nature. He's very measured and he's very careful. Um, but I, but he also, if you don't make mistakes, you're not in the game, right? If you're in the game, you're going to make mistakes all day long, but you try to make the best decisions you can. And then you learn from those mistakes you make. Yes. And yeah. And like, I mean, I'm sure when, whenever we have a woman that's a president, it's the same idea. She's going to have to, she's going to have to be extra careful because it's like, even though we've had a million white male presidents who have made God awful mistakes. And we've got Trump, you know, you have a woman or a black man making one tiny little mistake and then, oh, well, they can't be, you know, we can never elect a woman. We can never elect a black person. That's what is so ridiculous about our culture. But that's uh, what I think Obama was facing. So I don't like I I, yeah, I want to be clear with you. It's not going back and pointing the finger and going bad Obama. It's going back and going, wow, we could we could have done something like that, you know, like going in and, 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 and stopping it, but because it's against the constitution and we missed that. So now I hope that we, you know, and it's like, I am definitely all for Nancy Pelosi. I'm not one of these people that wants to rip on her, but I'm absolutely all for, you know, urging her, please do this, which of course now, since you've put this idea into my head, I'm going to be looking for class action lawyers so hard. Um, and I, I don't know any, but I will, you know, I know I, I have a few friends. Well, that know I have a lot people. in DC who were former uh, federal prosecutors with me at the U S attorney's office in DC. And they're now hotshot civil lawyers. And okay. I'm going to literally, well, you'll have a much better. Yeah. Now, so, well, yeah. I, and I'm glad that you're on it. Um, so, okay. What about this? Let's say they ram a justice through. What And I want to talk about, okay, forget who this is. I don't know, you know, there might be a chance to impeach whoever it is that they're going to be putting through right now. But let's go to Kavanaugh. Um, what are the chances that he could be impeached and removed? And what would be the grounds? Because I know that he lied to Congress, but I'll tell you that I don't know all the details. But I do know that during that uh, investigation that was supposed to be happening with the Christine Blasey Ford uh, allegation, there were people that wanted to come forward and the GOP was n- not allowing that to happen. And yeah. whoever it was who was handling that investigation were not allowing witnesses who had something to say to back up her claims. Is that something that he that he could be impeached for? He can be impeached if he lied during his confirmation testimony. Okay. And I, I hate to use these two examples because they're just kind of vulgar, but I think these are two of the more obvious um, possible lies, right? When he says things like, and and first of all, let me take a step back. If you lie under oath, 
your lie has to be material in order for it to be criminal. What does that mean? If some senator asks me what I had for breakfast and I say oatmeal when I had eggs, mm -hmm. even and I know that's a lie, mm -hmm. but you know I don't want somebody to know what I had for some reason. That's a lie, but it's probably not perjury or more accurately false statement under 18 U.S.C. 1001, which is what governs sworn testimony before Congress, because it's not material. It's mm -hmm. not important to the topic being mm -hmm. discussed. But because the topic being discussed was his sexual assault, all of his testimony concerning and that related at all to that matter, I believe, as a former career prosecutor, is material. So, for example, when he's, you know, he and his buddies were apparently vulgar young men. Mm -hmm. Listen, lots of young men are vulgar, mm -hmm. and lots of young men grow out of it and mature out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, he still likes beer, or you know, and he's still an impertinent little, you know. <laughs> anyway, he, um, when he was asked things, you know, easy questions like, "What is the devil's triangle that you refer to in your writings?" Mm -hmm. and he lies and says it's a drinking game. Mm -hmm. That's not what it is. No. When he's asked, "Why do you?" Sign your letters to your friends, F, 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 and he lies in my estimation, or at least I think I think the evidence would show he lied when he came up with uh, one of our friends used to stutter. No, F, no. F, 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 F means five. It's five vulgar things about women that escalate from find them to forget them. And the three in between mm -hmm. are also, you know, are the vulgar ones. Mm -hmm. So these were lies and they were lies mm -hmm. because he was determined to hide the truth from the senators and get confirmed. Mm -hmm. Those lies must not go unaddressed. They went unaddressed because the Republican administration gave him cover, criminal mm -hmm. cover, mm -hmm. I would say. Going after him in January is basic from the perspective of a career prosecutor. You give the FBI his transcript, and this doesn't even get into the other potential victims who need to be interviewed fully and fairly as part of an investigation, potential sexual assault victims. This doesn't even get into who in the world paid off all the man's mountainous debt. Right, yes. we, we need to know that. But the perjury part is easy hmm. because the FBI conducts a full, fair, apolitical, nonpartisan investigation of his testimony under oath. They expose all the lies. Then he is charged impeached and removed this is like criminal law 101 this is easy now you have to have the political will to do it mm -hmm. you have to be prepared to take the slings and arrows from the right that you're doing this for politics but you're not doing it for politics you're doing it for principle it should have been mm -hmm. done in the first instance but just because the republicans cover up crime doesn't mean that the democrats beginning in january are somehow doing the wrong thing by belatedly holding people responsible mm -hmm. for their crimes. They're doing the right thing, and they're going to have to do it in the face of criticism. But as a prosecutor, every case I brought in 30 years, I was criticized yeah. by somebody. I was making somebody unhappy. Often it was the defendant and his family and his criminal crew members. And you know, Or if I declined to bring a case because there was insufficient evidence or – because a police officer maybe violated the defendant's constitutional rights and I had to dismiss, then you know who I was making unhappy? The police department, <laughs> the victim, the victim's family, the community. I was always making somebody happy. And you know what? I never based my prosecutorial mm -hmm. decisions or declinations on who I was pissing off. Yeah.
Yeah, I think I some sometimes I think the Democrats are are worried about things like that, and I would hope that I mean I know, just outside of this particular conversation, both Biden and Harris have said that you know they would not stand. Well, Harris said it when she was running for president, but you know that if they were president, they would not stand in the way of any DOJ that would go after Trump for his crimes. And obviously, that's the thing. I mean, we've had presidents who have you know we we can look at the Bush administration, and many argue that they should have been. Um, tried for war crimes, and they never were. And we, you know, I think part of the reason is because it sets a precedent, and then it, it seems like then the, the next Republican administration then would go after the Democratic. But we're at a point now <laughs> where we have people, like you were saying earlier with Lindsey Graham, on camera challenging us to use his words against him. Now he's going back on that, and he just, they don't, care and and i guarantee you as you already know and everybody listening already knows that next time if we have another republican administration god i hope we don't but if we do they're going to impeach they're going to go back and retroactively try to impeach or or you know what we're doing right now they will have no problem doing or what we should do i should say in 2021 when we get full power what we should do and i hope that we do it and i hope that democrats absolutely realize the, I mean, if they let this go, I don't see, you know, I mean, people are, the American people, I feel like we've been abused since Trump oh, has yes. even just, you know, come into the scene, gone down that stupid escalator. And, and anxiety been, kills. So don't tell me that this man and his lackeys in his cabinet aren't literally mm-hmm. killing American people and not only with their abject um, neglect of the coronavirus yeah. pandemic, but with Just the with anxiety yeah. that they have that they have injected into every thinking person mm-hmm. in this country, stress kills, anxiety mm-hmm. kills, and they are killing Americans. But I think yeah. Trump. The more I, I I live with the numbers, the two hundred thousand dead Americans, I have gone from believing that Trump was just completely reckless and negligent and uncaring and doesn't have an empathetic bone in his body, so he doesn't care that people die. I am beginning to believe that because he is so enamored of the dictators club, his own words are, I love Kim Jong-un and and Putin is my man. Mm -hmm. And Erdogan, this is his recent rant about how much respect and admiration he has for Erdogan. He respects, admires and loves his word, murderous dictators. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? He is a murderous dictator. So I think he actually is enjoying and seeing as a highlight of his resume all of the dead Americans because he's currying favor with the dictators Mm -hmm. club, which he desperately wants to become a member of. That is so disgusting. And I don't I I completely 100 percent agree with you. It's disgusting. I mean, I wish I could remember the quote, but Mary Trump said something about how, you know, uh, he can he'll make a profit off your death. And he won't. And then he just I can't remember how she said it, but like it's he won't care about your death. He, all he cares about is making the money or if it's not and it's not if it's not a monetary thing. It's it's like like you said, like the, the other dictators of the world looking at him and going, oh, good job. You know, I mean, yeah. he, that's that's he where he places his value. MBS and Putin are high fiving the next time they yes. all get together. Just so scary. So what about. OK, so I'm hoping that they go after Kavanaugh, but. There's also the argument floating around there um, that the number of justices could be expanded. And where do you stand on that? I, I'm, I'm hearing the number 13. So what do you where do you stand? 
Yeah, I like spinal tap dial it up to 11. That's kind of <laughs> where I am. Um, so, and, and if I hear another person say, well, I'm a traditionalist, so I just don't think we should mess with the number. You know, you got to get over that because look at what adherence to traditions and yes, norms exactly. in our institutions have gotten us. They've gotten us right in the crapper. So enough with the I'm a traditionalist. There, you know, the, over the history of this country, we've had as few as five Supreme Court justices and mm-hmm. as many as ten. Nine is not a magic number. No. Um, but before I get to why I say eleven, let, let's talk for a minute about Kavanaugh and Gorsuch because we can't forget that they both ruled against him in the "I am mm-hmm. king, so you can never see my tax returns" mm-hmm. litigation. That is enormously consequential. I'm not mm. going to say I'm a fan of those two justices. Right. What I am going to say is I continue to believe the judiciary in the long run will be his downfall. And it's it's in part because I actually think the the, the uh, Roberts of the world, I mean, these people do care about the law. They do mm-hmm. care about the institution um, and the integrity of the Supreme Court. And the one thing I'm confident they will never do is put the president beyond the reach of the law. That's what he sought in his tax litigation. He wanted to be above and beyond the reach of the law. The justices are not going to do it. You know why? Hmm. Because they always want the executive branch to be beholden to the Supreme Court. So the minute Hmm. they give that up, they are making themselves, the judiciary, a second-class branch of government. I can all almost promise you they will never do it. That's why I believe Trump is doing everything he can. He's getting more desperate by the day. He's mm-hmm. flailing around like a fish out of water, all because he knows, we know, we all know he's going to lose in a landslide mm-hmm. come November 3rd. That's why he's setting up all of these court challenges. He's going to file suit in the states, in courts, in states that he lost. Mm -hmm. And I can, again, all but promise you, those judges will laugh him out of court. Why? Because there is a basic tenant in our criminal, in our, in our legal practice, both criminal and civil. And it's very simple. It's called the clean hands doctrine. It's called forfeiture by wrongdoing. You can never create a problem and then walk into court (laughs) And say you're a victim of the problem right. you've created and you want the court to order relief in your favor. Yeah. That is a very basic principle. He has created the chaos in our elections by slowing the mail through his criminal postmaster general, by urging his his supporters to vote for him twice, right, by threatening now to declare certain states terrorist state, not Mm -hmm. anarchist states. He has injected all of the chaos. Every judge, even the Mitch McConnell not qualified judges will say, you cannot benefit from your own wrongdoing. They will laugh him out of court. So Mm -hmm. that's why I believe the courts will be his downfall. So Mm -hmm. I am not so concerned that he has Kavanaugh and Gorsuch on the Supreme Court because they've already ruled against him in the most important way. And that is not letting him put himself above the law. So I believe we're going to be okay at the end of the day. I really do that. We're going to get through this. We're going to have a Biden administration. And then the real challenge would be making sure that they hold all of these political Mm -hmm. criminals accountable instead of turning the other cheek. But so, yes, the 11 people on the court, the 11 justices thing, I think is a good idea. Why? Because I don't think every Supreme Court nomination should be a life 
and death endeavor the mm-hmm. way it is. And the reason it's a life and death endeavor is because we've got this five, four, four, five, five, four, back and <laughs> forth. And, you know, and Roberts has been doing the right thing more than the wrong thing mm-hmm. at least lately. Um, but I don't think we should, I don't think we should live with that sort of judicial practice hanging over our head. I think 11 or 14 or 15 or so we make each justice not a life and death endeavor. It, there, so there's less riding mm-hmm. on each Supreme Court justice pick nomination and confirmation. That That's kind of my view. Interesting. Well, you know, I feel like obviously there's a lot of people out there, and I'm not one of them um, who's saying this online, but saying she should have retired because of her age. Um, here's what I have to say about that. I feel like when it comes to politics, um, there, are certain, there are certain vocations out there, like I, I, I think a pilot is one of them, where there's a cutoff age. And because people's lives are at stake. And, I, you know, I'm looking at this current election and we've got Joe Biden, who's in his late 70s. We did have um, Bernie Sanders, who obviously I think I can't remember how old he is and uh, his also in his late 70s, who had just had a heart attack running. You know, he, I used to be a Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders supporter. I am not anymore, although I still like I, I still have progressive viewpoints about everything about democracy. Uh, it's just a matter of like I prefer Warren's way of handling things, but I, I I like the idea of Medicare for all. I like the idea of more equity and equality and all of that, but it does scare me. So it's like if Bernie Sanders was my guy, I would be a little concerned. Yeah. I wouldn't be screaming. Uh, you know, it's not it's not ageism and ableism. It's just okay. Well, this person is going to be in control of the most powerful country least one of them in the world and we want to you know there's no guarantees in anything but as you age and you know it's clear that health problems can arise you can live to 95 and be perfectly healthy and have you know tons of energy but there's the the the, um percentages go up to where there's more problems so i do think that we should consider having some kind of age limits when it comes to politics and i think that you know as far i mean i don't i don't think she should have retired because she's a woman or anything like that. But what it has turned into is that one person's death has put so many other lives at risk. That is not me blaming. It's just me understanding, oh, my God, you know, her life, our lives were depending on her life. And I think we should have term limits. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But more importantly than even age is term limits. Because if like if it was 10 or 15 years on the bench, then at least we would have that feeling of like, okay, yeah, it's going to be hard for a while. But possibly, you know, there, there's hope in the future. Because, you know, there's always going to be new justices coming in. And hopefully it will mean that it'll be a little bit more even or however. You know, I mean, I don't know exactly how it will go. We can't predict which presidents are going to be nominating who. But it's just it, it makes me feel like, you know, I worry about Joe Biden. And yeah. I mean, he seems OK. I, he seems, you know, I mean, they want to they want to make him sound like he's uh, got. Well, of course, Trump is now saying he's on drugs. This was totally ridiculous. But they're trying to make it sound like he has dementia. He does not have dementia. He's just yeah. a man who's older. And he obviously he has been through a lot. And he feels, I'm sure, the weight of the world on him right now. And he's happy and willing to take this on. And I'm the first to admit right now that even though he wasn't my first choice and all that, um, I do think he is the man for the moment. I think he yeah. is the person that Americans feel 
at least the sane American voters feel is the one to take on Trump. They have decided that's who he is. And not only that, like I heard Joy Reid talking about the fact that he's got his reputation. You can't change his reputation. Everybody knows him as Uncle Joe. Everybody knows who he is. So, And Lindsey Graham said he's about as good a man as God has ever made. And if you don't like and respect him, there's something wrong. <laughs> there you go. And so it's like you can't rewrite his history. It's, he's been around forever. We all know who he is. We, are, we may not all love everything that he do, he's done, but he is a good man. And you can't change that. And, and clearly, if let's say somebody like Elizabeth Warren came through or even somebody like Buttigieg, uh, yeah, they could have maybe tried to skew the reputations of these people and it would have been successful because they didn't, you know, I mean, even though Warren has been around for a long time, she's more, you know, a lot of people didn't even know who she was. Um, unfortunately, they should have known who she was, but they didn't. But you can't change his reputation. So I am not digging at him for his age, but I feel like, you know, there, there are people who feel concerned about him. Like, yeah. is he going to be? And plus, he, you know, during COVID, people who are older are more at risk and more vulnerable. And we and, you know, it's like I get worried when I see him going around. And I mean, I'm not saying that he shouldn't. But when he's going and he's flying and he's it's like, oh, my God, it's, I'd rather just have him stay home the whole time. <laughs> just yeah. stay home and be safe. <laughs> yeah. But, you and know, going, going back to Ginsburg for a moment, I heard in the many tributes and interviews, especially the interviews with like her law clerks who became close with her over the years, remained close with her. So I heard somebody say, and this made a lot of sense to me, is that like everyone else, she thought Hillary was going right. to win the last election. Yes. So she was we, she was really wanting yeah. the first female president to to, you know, to pick her successor. Yeah. And which makes perfect it totally sense. Does. Right. But then once the election results went the other way, you know, if she had been, you know, considering retiring, I think she was like, nope, not now. Right. So I think she kind of got caught the way so many of us got caught yeah. being surprised by the election results in 16. I mean, who knew that Russia was going to be pushing so hard to install exactly. their, yeah. uh, you know, their man. And it's not black and white. I mean, I think sometimes we get, especially in this divided political culture, um, it's like, don't ever criticize a liberal or a Democrat. It's not about criticizing. It's not about pointing fingers and blaming, at least not where I'm coming from. It's like you just said it. It's instructional. We have to look at what has served us in the past and what hasn't and, and try to clean those things up. I, I, I feel like, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was I have not seen the movie uh, made about her yet, but I'm my mom saw it and she keeps telling me to to watch it, and I know I'm not going to be able to watch it for a little while because it's just going to be too hard. Um, I admire her so much, and I feel like you know she tried so hard to hang on for us, which really is upsetting to me. The fact that she died is less upsetting than uh, than her will to stay alive. Like it makes me sad that yeah. she felt. I have to stay alive for the people. So, I mean, I in no way point my finger to her and say she should or would have, could have. But I think that what we need to do as, you know, as, as a people and as a government and all that, I think we need to start refiguring how things are run. And just again, like it's better to have term limits. Um, perhaps there can be an age cutoff, not because somebody isn't capable, but because we just don't know what's going to happen when you get older. And, you know, and especially now, I mean, I'm just throwing this out there and I'm going to go to my other question, but I mean, we've got this COVID situation and all these people that get COVID right now and they recover, we don't know what's going to happen in the long run with that. 
you know, so yeah. it's like there are all kinds of issues that we're dealing with heart disease and smokers and all this stuff. And so as you age, it's just obvious that there's an, op- you know, I mean, my mom is 73 years old right now and her mind is very, very sharp, but she's having a hard time physically. You know, she's got she's got to have a hip or op- hip operation in the middle of covid, which freaks me out. But, um, you know, and bo- my parents, both of my parents are pretty sharp and they're in their 70s, but they've got ailments and that's just to be expected and she's always complaining about she's like I never used to go to the doctor and now I'm always at the doctor you know and it's like that's just how it is but anyway I don't want anyone to think that I'm shaming for age because that's not what it is it's just about recognizing the reality and where you know where we are and I feel like I think we can we can do this better we can make better rules to safeguard you know millions and millions of people who are you know when it comes down to relying on one person Um, because the next question I have for you, this is the thing that's really scaring me. Um, Sue, I, you know, I put out that you're going to be on the show and I asked for questions. So Sue asked, is there any way for us to save the ACA with the oral arguments to begin on 11, 10, 20, even if Robert sides with the remaining liberals, that's a four to four tie with the lower court ruling of, uh, a lower court ruling of unconstitutionality to stand during a pandemic. I am a healthcare worker and I am distraught. So I'm really yes. scared about the ACA. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I am concerned about that, too. Well, yeah, where to begin? So if the lower court standing, uh, the lower court ruling stands, which it certainly would, mm-hmm. if there were only eight justices and it ended up a 4-4 vote, that that spells the death of the ACA. Mm-hmm. But But here is where I take some comfort. I do believe Biden's going to win. So I believe whatever happens in the short term, Mm -hmm. because the Supreme Court, um, I think the argument is, what was the date that you said, October? Uh, 11-10. Okay. So they will not hand down a decision before Joe Biden is sworn in. Interesting. I believe Joe Biden will be working on day one and Mm -hmm. has already been working with focus groups and, and working groups to make sure we expand um, mm-hmm. coverage for uh, for all Americans, hopefully one way or another. I think it will get mooted out, even if the Supreme Court ends, if, if McConnell gets his person on, if the vote changes on the ACA, it's all gonna get mooted out by Joe Biden's administration anyway. And if Joe Biden loses and Donald Trump wins a second term, this is going to sound hyperbolic, mm-hmm. but I think the reality is we are almost certainly moving toward the end of our republic if we have Donald Trump and Bill. Oh, Martin yes, absolutely. Continuing in their you know unholy, unlawful tandem. Um, so sadly, the death of the ACA is but one of many, many, many problems that we'll be contending with because we'll be dealing with the end of our republic. Mm-hmm. So. And, you know, let's and I keep saying you don't want to be alarmist, Mm -hmm. but lots of other republics have ended and Mm -hmm. lots of other countries have fought multiple civil wars. And I don't I don't hope for that. I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's necessarily going to happen because I think Biden's going to win. But unfortunately, all of these things are a possibility in a second Trump presidency, which is why the stakes are so high that everybody needs to crawl over broken glass to cast their vote. So you're saying, okay, basically we could, in, in the scenario of the Supreme Court, you know, if it's a four to four tie, 
mm-hmm. and then it goes down to the lower courts. Could it? Could it? And you're saying the courts are not going to decide until after? Yeah, they'll hear argument, but they, you know, they take months and months to actually issue. But a do you, what do you think the chances are that they would shoot it down even with a Biden Biden presidency? Oh, they might, okay. but 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 that's why I say it should be mooted out. Because Biden from day one will be working on new health care okay, okay. or new health care coverage legislation. And listen, I also believe, and I would bet my own money, at least a dollar of it, because I'm not a high roller, <laughs> that we will also have a, a, a democratically controlled yes. Senate. I mean, I, you know, I'm not much of a prognosticator, but going into the 18 midterms, seeing how mm-hmm. Trump had abused the American people. My pick was for 40 seats to flip blue in the House, and mm-hmm. it turned out to be 41. I am completely confident and really would bet my own money on the Senate flipping and on Biden winning and on us being able to begin to put our country back together again. I absolutely believe that is where we're going to end up. Okay, well, I mean, I feel the same way, although it's like, you know, Bob Susk always says, don't get happy. So, I mean, it's like, I, I don't think we're at a point right now where people are just going to be like, well, I'm not going to vote. But still, don't get happy. <laughs> you know, yeah, just yeah. assume that Trump is ahead and your vote is the deciding vote. That's what I always say. Because there's, you know, oftentimes there is one person deciding. So pretend you're that person. Uh, so it's interesting now, just to switch gears a little bit, it seems that Bill Barr wants to defund the police in all the anarchist cities, <laughs> which are uh, what are those cities? It's Portland, Oregon, Seattle, uh, Washington, New and New York. So yeah. basically, he wants to defund those anarchist cities. And can I they, can't they do that? wait. You know, it, this this does not show strength. This shows no. weakness yeah. and desperation. So Donald Trump is like a little boy sitting at a checkers board, and he knows he's losing badly. So yeah. he just up and upends the checkers board. Right. I would say chess, but you know, he doesn't know. <laughs> um, so this is just another. It's another tantrum. It's another distraction. And I love, I love when they do these sorts of things because there's one thing that this does not do. Mm-hmm. It's win him any new <laughs> right. Yeah, he's got his base. He's right. got like 25 percent of the people who will never walk, walk away from him. Donald Trump could literally sign an executive order deporting his base to Mexico. And they'd be like, that's genius. And <laughs> yeah. they would and then they Jeez, would ask for so their sad. mail in ballots so they could vote for him from Mexico. Right. So he is not winning any new voters to his base. But these kind of moves mm-hmm. so inspire not only folks who were already inspired to get mm-hmm, to the polls, mm-hmm. but the independents, the people who were, you know, like you say, you know, maybe not so enthusiastic about Biden. Mm-hmm. This inspires people just like the what they're doing in the aftermath of the of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg inspires mm-hmm. People. Yeah. And I want more of it. I love that he just I don't love it, but I um, I think it will strategically work right. against yes. them that they're like, we're we're going to call all the blue cities anarchist cities. And you know what? All of the battleground states that we really need, we're going to give everybody a free puppy and a free kitten. <laughs> and we're going to you know, it's mm-hmm. it's so desperate. Yeah. It's so desperate. And you know what? It's going to be overturned when when they walk into court in New York mm-hmm. and they bring suit. If this thing really comes to fruition, it's going to be overturned in a New York minute. You just watch. Well, I sure hope so, because that's ridiculous. And makes a cut. It's you know, it's so difficult 
to again I use the word like I feel abused you know we're, we're going through it's like he's an abusive husband and we're all the, uh, the the partner who can't escape for one reason or another we're stuck for you know whether it's because there's a newborn or we don't have any money or whatever the reason is we are stuck with this abusive man and every day it's so difficult it's just I mean I I was so distraught on Saturday and I you know I kept telling myself I need to pull out of this because I can't fold i need to and the and the despair and the desperation Mm -hmm. uh is what they want that's exactly what they want so it's like oh that's how you want me to behave right i'm yeah news for you yeah that's that's not what i'm doing that's not what we're doing yeah because you know that then then they win and and they're not going to win well unfortunately i mean they're picking on it not fortunately but i mean with ruth bader ginsburg and her fighting spirit i think that it's like everybody took their uh, you know time to grieve and be sad and cry. And now everybody's like, all right, now I'm going to fight. And that's pretty much what I think we've shown. The one thing that keeps me hopeful as I just keep going back to the very first special election in 2017. And ever since then, Democrats have won and, 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 and voters showed up in numbers, general election size, in, in 2018. And before I get to my last question for you, I want to remind everybody that I don't know why, but specifically Democratic voters tend to get complicit when we feel safe. So and Barack Obama was the perfect example. They didn't show up to the 2010 and 2014 midterms because, oh, well, we have Barack. And, you know, everything's great. And what wound up happening was Republicans took control of Congress and put and we're in a position now that if if um, if the Democratic voters would have had foresight or even just thought, OK, well, we've got the power now we need to keep the power. You know, it's like going on a diet. You, you exercise and you eat less and then you get to your goal weight. You don't start eating donuts and, you know, potatoes. You have to maintain. And that's what we have to vote in every election. And I just people have to realize that not only are there the midterms and the general, we have special elections and there are elections every year. And unless, you know, there's there's there are people who are are far left and they're pissed off. And I understand why they're pissed off. I'm pissed off for the exact same reasons. And I want a lot of the same things that they want. I think we have differences in how to get there because I don't believe in burning it all down. As I think it was Stone Kettle said, people who burn things are arsonists. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we have to work with what we have. But but what people don't do is they, they or I should say what people do is they vo- maybe they vote in the general and then that's all they do. Mm-hmm. And they don't hold the elected officials accountable. They don't show up to their offices. They don't put pressure on by making phone calls. They just get complacent and they live their lives. And then they come up at every general election and scream, you guys are bad. And it's like, well, you know what? Yes, they're working for us. And sometimes there are corrupt people on both sides, although there's way more corrupt people in the Republican Party. But, you know, there are Democrats that maybe don't work as hard as they should and they have to be pushed. And who pushes them? Us. We have to push them because if we don't, they're, you know, they're they're stuck playing along with the stupid games that they have, like with the pleasing lobbyists. Well, who if we scream loud enough, they're going to please us if we fire them and hire someone who's not going to please the lobbyists, then it's so, so it's not just about these one time general elections. So there's my, I'm off my soapbox with that now, but I want to, um, but I feel so passionate about it because it just kills me, especially 2014, which was, I think 
in 80 years, it was the lowest turnout of any mm-hmm. midterm election, which is, there's, there's, that's unforgivable. And that's on us. That is absolutely on Democrats, but because we should have shown up. So um, I'm curious about this. This is the last question I have for you. So, you know, we keep hearing, I, I hear this a lot from people, or I see it, I should say, on Twitter, where they'll say, you're, go- you're going to jail. You're going to jail. And they're talking about Trump. So obviously we have not ever really, there has not been a, has there ever been a sitting president or not a sitting president, but a, a person who has been a president who has gone to jail after they, after they I left office? I don't believe so. So Trump deserves to go to jail for so many reasons. And both Biden and Harris said they wouldn't stand in the way of a DOJ, a DOJ investigation. So what right. do you think the likelihood is of, of that actually happening? I mean, I know that there are state, you know, like, for instance, the NYAG, Letitia James. Uh, don't mess with her, man. She, that's a state thing. But I mean, what are the chances of Trump actually going to jail, do you think? Like, how realistic is that? Yeah, so I said my daydream, and maybe I have to get better daydreams, <laughs> but my, my daydream is to go back to my old stomping grounds in Washington, D.C., in the courts, and uh, at like 12.01 p.m. on January 20th, is that the day Biden will be sworn in? I think so, um, yes, yes. I yes. want to be standing outside the grand jury room door that I walk through a thousand times and I want to begin presenting evidence to the grand jurors (laughs) of Donald Trump and all of his criminal associates that includes his family members Uh uh, evidence of their crimes and yes it will take it'll take a minute as we say in Mm -hmm. DC but and then ask the grand jury at the end of that presentation Mm -hmm. whether they believe there's enough evidence to uh, vote out an indictment against Donald Trump all his cabinet members his family members whatever um, members of Congress we could prove committed crimes, whatever uh, uh, governors, if there are governors who are criminally culpable for what they've been doing to their citizens. And and you let the grand jury be the conscience of the community mm-hmm. in an apolitical investigation. Mm-hmm. I am confident, based on what I've seen, even publicly reported, Donald Trump has committed crime after crime after crime after crime. As a homicide prosecutor for 22 of my 30 years, he has easily, easily satisfied the three elements of involuntary manslaughter. And based on the Woodward revelations Mm. that he knew the danger that the coronavirus posed and he lied to us about it, that actually satisfies the element of second degree depraved heart murder. I won't go into a long explanation of how that is but take it from somebody who tried more murder cases than anybody else in washington dc he's committed the crimes of both manslaughter and second degree murder that's just for openers we know he committed multiple uh, offenses of obstruction of justice offenses as documented by bob Mueller. Mm -hmm. we know he has criminally obstructed congressional inquiries by directing executive branch officials to ignore lawfully issued congressional subpoenas. We know he has tampered with witnesses. He sent a tweet that was designed to chill the testimony of Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch while she was testifying. (laughs) We know he's committed false statements in writing to Bob Mueller. And believe me, I know he's committed campaign finance violations together with his co-conspirator, Michael Cohen. We could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't even begin to touch the financial crimes he committed in New York and elsewhere. He will be prosecuted. Okay. 
I just want it to be true so badly. I mean, I really want it. You know, there obviously there's this like human side of me that wants to see the abuser go to jail. But it's also about doing the right thing. I think that in our country we have been you know, up until this president, there have been so many norms that have been appreciated and, you know, followed by even the ones that were not so that were were corrupt. I mean, like, I'm certainly not a fan of the Bush administration. Um, I do not think he was a good president. I think that he actually, you know, he and others paved the way to a Trump presidency. But, you know, you see these, you see, we, I think that like we've tried so hard to maintain this, I don't know, this like dignity by not putting some of these corrupt people in jail that we've done ourselves an injustice. There's no, and a there's no dignity in declining no. to hold criminals accountable. Think about it on a micro level. Yeah. If you're a victim of an assault or a burglary, a robbery, or God forbid, a rape, the last thing we tell those victims is the way to heal, the way to address what happened to you Mm -hmm. is by declining to hold your attacker accountable. That's the exact opposite of of being, um, what was the word you used a minute ago? Not forgiving, but um, of being, um, you can't be above the fray. Right. I mean, there is, there's, there's nothing healing about declining to hold criminals accountable there's yeah. everything wrong dignified with declining to hold dignified with declining to hold i mean you could not be more disrespectful yes. or undignified with respect to a victim and a victim's rights yeah than by saying we're not going to hold your attacker accountable mm-hmm. well if we don't hold donald trump accountable we have been disrespectful to the american people who have been victimized by donald trump for four years now including in a direct sense two hundred thousand dead and two hundred thousand families you know grieving and mourning and you know there has to be accountability for that there has to be i i sure hope so i mean obviously you know i think donald trump has hopefully changed that it's not something i would have invited but here he is so we've got this man who has, I mean, he's, he's, today he tweeted or last night or whenever it was that he's even, he doubted that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, he doubted her last witch and, and, and says that, oh, it's Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. They're the ones who are saying it. And, and he is spitting in our faces. He's stomping on our necks. He is killing us. He doesn't care about this country. He doesn't give a shit about any of us. All he wants, like you said, he just wants that to- total power. And I think that he wants to make it like a, a dictatorship monarchy where his children can come after him. And we have to, you know, forget that, I, I, I like veneer or or this this idea that we are this very dignified country. We're not anymore. We're not because of him. And, sure. you know, there have been people like Dick Cheney who came before him. They were not dignified people. They were also, you know, I mean, they were I think they murdered in their own way, uh, it, although not quite as blatant or obvious and because they were also smarter. And so, you know, moving forward, there's a very good chance that the next time we have uh, I was going to say Russian <laughs> Republican majority rule that 
they'll be smarter than Trump. You know, one of the things we have going for us is that he's not very smart and he doesn't listen to people. He blurts out things and, and, and he makes these decisions that are easy to point to and say, okay, criminal, criminal, criminal. Whereas, you know, people like maybe Cheney and Bush could hide it more. And yeah. so, but I think moving forward, the, the Trump presidency should change the way we hold our corrupted criminal uh, officials accountable. I think they need to be, we can't, we can't worry about being polite anymore. We have to, it's like you said, it's like you can't move on until the person who, cre who, who, whether it's a criminal, whatever crimes, until they are addressed and that person has to answer for them. I mean, we can't always control what's going to happen and if they're going to go to jail, but at least you have that cathartic, you know, trial or something. And it, it yeah. sucks if you lose, but at least you went through those motions, kind of like with impeachment. So w you need to kind of have that. And I, and I really do hope, I mean, it seems like I said, you know, both Biden and Harris are all for it. And, and they both have like personal stakes in everything Trump has done. I mean, Trump, you know, went after Hunter Biden. So it's yeah. personal for Joe. And I, you know, I mean, I, I think that he clearly understands the threat that we're under. And I, I do hope that they both do it. But I love talking to you. And I'm so glad you actually did bring me, you know, you calmed me down a little bit and gave me some hope. I'm and glad. and, yeah. and I, I always enjoy watching you on MSNBC. You're so awesome. Everybody loves you so much. You're well, like everybody's that. favorite federal that. prosecutor <laughs> or formal, I should say. And I know you're doing a YouTube thing. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so for, I guess, four months running, I've been putting a video up every day trying to tackle the, you know, Trump crime of the day or the Bill Barr abuse of the, you know, rule of yeah. law du jour. Um, and, you know, I, so I try to identify the problem. And I try to put it in the larger context, and then I try to talk about a proposed solution. So each one, each video is like a three-part mm -hmm. approach to what we're trying to live through right now. And it's it's gotten a lot of really good response, and I'm, I'm gratified by that so um, I would urge you that doesn't cost anything to subscribe right. so if you go to my YouTube channel Glenn Kirshner it's just under my name and subscribe um, if you want to support what I'm doing because all of this is volunteer work mm -hmm. um, you can go to patreon.com and become a patron and it comes with some added benefits uh, last night I did a two-hour zoom chat with my friends on Patreon and you know, it's a Q and a, a Q and a session and mm -hmm. I do it every Sunday night and awesome. I enjoy it as much as I think the folks who, um, who saw who log on enjoy yeah. it. So, you know, and then there's some other benefits that people can get by, you know, you can bid $5 a month, $10 a month, or right. what have you. So if anybody wants to go to support my work, they, they can go on patreon.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. You know, I'll be having you back. Um, but I, I'm not sure exactly if it's going to be before or after the election. But I do appreciate you coming on. And, and thank you for kind of calming me down, talking me down a little bit, as you always do. <laughs> Just no, thank, thank you, you so Kimberly. much. I love, I love talking with you. Hey, and what's your what's your Twitter? Uh, what is your Twitter's YouTube Glenn channel? Kirshner too. It's Glenn Kirshner 2. Okay. Hopefully one day I'll graduate to Glenn Kirshner 1. <laughs> it's Glenn Kirshner 2. And I'm on Twitter all day, every day, answering legal questions okay. because there's so much anxiety yeah, I know. and there's so much confusion courtesy of Trump. It's so that people want to know what something means. So I'm on there throughout the day trying to answer, you know, select questions. Awesome. Well, I'm going to put your Twitter handle and your YouTube in the Patreon description of the show and Great. you have a good day. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Kimberly. Take care. Once again, Glenn just is such a great guest. I love talking to him and I really think 
that we need to, well, I say we, but I mean, it, it, it needs to happen that a civil litigator, litigator, <laughs> I said litigator, a civil litigator should take on a class action suit for the people who have already, prior to her death, voted for the next president. That should happen. We really, you know, we really have to figure out a way, and I say we just meaning the Democratic Party, have to figure out a way to combat this in a smart way that's, that's going to seriously halt or even stop McConnell. It's, and it's not easy, but obviously there are certain things that can be done. But it's really upsetting, and it's, it's, it's just so scary. Obviously, you know, her, her death, like I said, was it was sad. But it should have been something different. You know, it should have been that we could say, you know, wow, what a, what a great woman and what an amazing life she led and look what she gave us and had that time to feel the, the wonderful, just everything that she's offered us, everything that she's done for, for, for people, for women. And then, yes, grieved her death, but at the same time, she lived a long life and she accomplished so much and she contributed so much that it, it feels like it should have been a celebration of her life and not, and, and yes, a grieving her and, and mourning the fact that she's not here with us, but it just has turned into this disgusting, disgusting fight that's partisan. And it's not even partisan because it's not even, they are so, they're just corrupt monsters. We're fighting these corrupt monsters, mobsters, whatever they are. They're like their own mob. The Republican Party is now like a fucking mob. The mob. It's, it's so upsetting, you know, and I mean, I do hope that I do hope that there is somebody who is willing to take up this case and move forward with it, because that's a, that's a fantastic idea. The other thing that kind of scares me is if if the ACA goes away. I know Glenn said that they're, you know would be action from Biden to improve health care. But if we take away that structure, how are we going to do it? Can he put it back? I mean, that's, I don't know. I'm not sure. But I, I, I would feel better with Biden as president if we do leave, lose the ACA because I know they will figure something out, especially if we have a, a blue Congress. We'll be able to get something going. And we can maybe, you know, draw on everything from the Affordable Care Act and kind of re-implement it. I don't know. But it's why should we even have to? Oh, my God. It's just so annoying. But anyway, I'm going to stop talking about politics now. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. This is just totally, totally, totally not having anything to do with politics. But as people who have listened to me for a long time know that I am constantly trying to find ways to, how can I say this? I've had body image issues my whole life and now I'm 52 years old. I stopped smoking seven years ago and when I stopped smoking, I gained weight and then I lost a little bit of it and then I got a little older and then I gained more weight and I fucking hate it and there's just, it's like nothing I do works. The stuff that I did when I was in my 30s doesn't work. So I found this new workout person on YouTube. Her name is Chloe Ting, T-I-N-G. And I just did one of her workouts, two of her workouts yesterday. They're fantastic. So I'm just putting this out there. This is going to be into my show, but I'm putting this out there for anybody 
who is interested in changing up your workout because mine was kind of like rut. I was in a rut where I was just doing the same thing every day and then your body just gets used to it. So this is great because she's got all these different, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I will say that when I was younger and I worked out, I would do calisthenics, right? Where you do like sit-ups and, and jumping jacks and those kinds of things, but they were repetitive. So her moves are repetitive. Some of it's planks. Uh, she, she, and then she'll, she'll have like say a whole body workout that's 26 minutes, but then she'll have an arm workout that's 10 minutes and a ab workout that's 15 minutes. So you can take whatever you want and mix and match and, and so that's what I've been doing. And I like the fact that it's rep- she does those repetitive movements. So moving your arm like in a – there was – in the arm video that I did, it's like moving it like in a C shape. And so you can really feel it. Your arm starts to burn. And, and so I'm excited about that. And I'm hopeful because not only, you know, maybe I can make a dent in, in – in, it's not that I have gained so much weight, but I'd like to go down at least a size, which has been my fucking lament since, I don't know, I don't know. 2014. But I feel like this particular kind of working out is really helping me cope. So I'm kind of bringing this back to the to the political conversation, even though it's not working out is not political, but working out helps with all of the awful news that we're facing every fucking second of the day, it seems like. So I'm just putting it out there. So her name is Chloe Ting. She's got like 14 million subscribers. She does not know that I, this is not an ad for her. I'm not getting paid for this. I'm just saying it because, uh, you know, people who have followed my show know that I've done some shows about body image and specifically about how I have body hatred. And so I'm trying so hard to get to a place where I feel comfortable because at this point at 52, I don't feel that I need to look the way I did when I was 35, if I could just fit into the same size, because I'm only a size bigger. And I know that sounds like, oh my God, Kimberly, you're just being ridiculous, but I'm six foot tall. So I don't look like other people, you know, I mean, like I could say that if you go up a size, maybe when you're smaller, maybe it looks like you've gained more weight, people might argue, but I mean, I have big, big bones, literally, I have big bones. So I just look large. I just look large and I, and I'm trying to like pull it in and I don't care if I lose weight. I just want to, I would love to tone up, you know, lose some inches and tone up anyway, that's enough, but it's been something that I think this kind of working out, I noticed after I did it yesterday, I felt good. I mean, I had that euphoric feeling that you feel when you do something new that you've never done before. So that euphoric thing isn't going to last, but I felt like it was something that could help me cope whenever you feel stress or anxiety and you do physical activity, it helps to, you know, combat that anxiety. So anyway, I'm just putting that out there for anybody who's interested. And for those who are concerned, she does do high intensity, but she has low intensity alternatives. And that's what I do (laughs) because I'm not jumping around on these 52 year old knees. So that's it. You can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And you can read all my books on Amazon, Kimberly Johnson. What else? Is there anything else? You know, reviews, reviews, reviews. Thank you guys for your reviews. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's going to be it. I know I'm going to talk with Steph sometime this week, and I can't remember if we decided on tomorrow or Thursday, but she's coming up for the patrons only. And we will see you a little bit later. (laughs) 